Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, H-Town, Houston Astros fans? This is the Believe in Astros podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I am your humble host, Jeff Balky, writer for the Houston Press, occasional sports commentator on KUHF 88.7 FM here in Houston. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Balky, J-E-F-F-B-A-L-K-E. I welcome all your thoughts and praises and, you know, anything, good recipes, Good place to get a sandwich. I'm always in the market. So it's been an interesting week uh, for the Astros. We are. It is now Wednesday, July the 20th, as I'm recording this. And the All-Star Game was last night. Home Run Derby prior to that on Monday. Juan Soto, uh, who turned down $440 million, won the uh, Home Run con- Derby. So, hey, good for him. And also bad for him? I'm not sure what to say. Um you can catch a lot of my writing on the Houston Press website. Uh, if you check the link in this podcast on Believe.com, you can find the link to my author page. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that I, I've written on there. Um, I want to mention another story. I like to mention stories from other great publications, and that is... Um, a story from Eno Saris. I hope I'm pronouncing it Eno or Eno, I'm not sure, from The Athletic. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you should get one. It's absolutely fantastic writing. It, it stinks that they don't have an uh, everyday uh, baseball or football guy for the city of Houston. They do have guys on basketball you know, who are excellent. Akeem Biljani, my goodness, get that out, and uh, Kelly Eco. Both excellent coverage for the Rockets. Jake Kaplan used to be with the Athletic, is no longer there um, covering the Astros. But there was a really good story in here from uh, from Mr. Saris or Ms. Saris. I'm not really sure. You know, could be a boy, could be a girl. Not sure. Um, talking about Jordan Alvarez and an adjustment that he made to his swing, and not just about how that talks about the organization's excellence, you know, working with Jordan, which it certainly has. Um, But in the contrast between Jordan and Kyle Tucker, the other, uh, the Astros, other all-star outfielder. And the whole story, the story is called What One Jordan Alvarez Opposite Field Home Run Tells Us About the Astros' Organizational Excellence. And Basically, they were discussing um, an opposite field home run that Alvarez hit um, and how Alex Cintron, the Astros batting coach, helped him to figure figure this out. It was against the Royals, 
and they show a pitch heat map that the Royals had been throwing against Jordan, and it was all on the outside third of the plate, right? Everything was pitched away. And of course, that's what you'd probably want to do with a power hitter like Alvarez, who, you know, if you pitch him inside and you miss, you're, you know, you're toast. So they're throwing it inside, 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 excuse me, outside, 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 right? So Alvarez adjusted, and he hit uh, basically a line drive homer into the Crawford boxes. And a lot of this had come from the analytics study that Alvarez had done. He's, He's a bit of a junkie for the analytics. But what was so interesting about this story is how it contrasted to Kyle Tucker, So as they say in the story, Kyle Tucker is a tinkerer. And they quote him as saying, I changed my swing a lot during the year. I probably have a different swing from the beginning of the season to now, whatever feels comfortable. They talked about how it was kind of the same thing when he was stealing bases. He's stolen 42 of 48 bases in his career. And they said despite being having a below average sprint speed, and it's mainly because he has a feel for it. So basically with Tucker, everything about him is feel. And I don't know if you remembered, but earlier this season, he, uh, you know, he's a guy that hits without batting gloves. And earlier this season, he put on batting gloves. My, my friend Katya reminded me of this just recently when, when we were discussing this. He put on the batting gloves, and then he took them off again, just tinkering to try and find a better way. Whereas Alvarez, on the other hand, is really looking at the data, really sort of studying it and dissecting it and figuring out and keeping everything that he does the same. And they talked about how the Astros organization a number of years ago tried to get everybody to swing the same way. They said, and the story says, quote, at one point they were telling all their minor league hitters to set up the same way at the plate, rest their bat on the shoulder, take it off a couple inches, and set. So basically they were telling not just how to swing, but how to stand you know, in the, in the box. And the players hated that. They quoted Carlos Correa saying they hated it. They changed, right? And this is one of the beauties of what the Astros do, right? They are just phenomenal at adjusting. You know, there's a, there was a story once I remember reading about the Dalai Lama. So I'm going to go into a little weird Buddhism spirituality thing here. But the Dalai Lama was being interviewed by a scientific publication, Scientific American or somebody like that, and they said, what if science was able to prove beyond a reason, you know, just beyond a shadow of a doubt that reincarnation, which is something Buddhists believe in, is not real, that it doesn't actually happen? And he said, well, then I guess we'd have to change our beliefs. I always found that to be an incredibly enlightened thing, because when you think about most, you know, you ask a, a evangelical Christian or somebody else, they're probably going to say, oh, well, that's never going to happen. They're going to deny it. He just said, you know, well, if that happens, then I guess we'll figure it out, right? That kind of enlightened thinking about the way things might be really, to me, seems like what the Astros are. They're a team that changes themselves as needed, right? They look at the situation. They look at what's happening around baseball. They look at what's happening. Look at look at what they've done in their the Venezuela, where they have this. You know, this. They were one of the first teams, I think, to have that academy in South America, right? And it's really delivered prospects for them. Um, 
they've figured out ways to sort of, you know, bend and change themselves. And no, this does not include trash cans, you weirdos. Um, they've just bent themselves to fit. And it's really, it's really remarkable, and it's the reason why they continue to be good year after year, player after player. You know, they, they have a system in place. And it and it really is working. And I thought this article was really illustrative of that. And I'll I'll link to that in uh, my podcast so you can see it. Now moving on, let's talk a little bit about the schedule coming out of the All Star Game because the All Star Game was fine. Framber Valdez uh, did very well, um, and uh, you know it was fine. Like the Astros did fine. Nobody it was like an All Star you know MVP or anything like that. But they they did fine. Justin Verlander didn't pitch uh, because he was in a rotation. Interestingly enough, they were asked if he would if he was going to be back next year. You know, he's got a an opt out for a twenty five million dollar extension, and he has the ability to opt out of that. He probably would. I mean, even at forty, he'll get to more than twenty five million a year. I mean, he's not Juan Soto. Like, really, Juan Soto. 15 years, 404. And the main reason I heard about Juan Soto is because he wants more than 29 million a year. Like, dude, sometimes enough is enough. Anyway, and by the way, Washington Nationals, why would you offer him 15 years, $440 million? Are you crazy? I don't care who he is. He's 23 years old. You don't know what's going to happen to him. It's also, by the way, makes the reasons the Astros didn't sign Carlos Correa seem even better. Um, hey, maybe the Angels will take on another huge contract. <laughs> anyway, back to, for the moment, Verlander. Verlander gave a kind of vague answer, you know, as, as all players do. I mean, I don't know if you saw it, but Aaron Judge gave a, whew. He, uh, when somebody asked him about uh, coming back to the Yankees, they had a, it was on ESPN before the All-Star game, and they said, they we're taking questions from young baseball fans, and we have this question from Brandon, who lives in the Bronx, and he wants to know, you know, is Aaron Judge, my favorite player, going to leave the Yankees and make me miserable or something like that? And Judge was like, oh, well, um, Brandon, just remember there's a lot of good players uh, on the Yankees, and I hope r- no matter where I am that you'll still be an Aaron Judge fan. It was like, wow. Um, awkward. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, with Verlander, look, as as um, Brian McTaggart pointed out in his weekly uh, email, and I think I've encouraged you to sign up for that before. If you haven't done it, please do it at MLB.com. Uh, as he pointed out, Jim Crane and Justin Verlander are very tight. And it's pretty clear the Astros have given him opportunities that he may not have gotten elsewhere. Uh, and they've really stuck by him. I feel like he'll be back. They may give him a little bit more money. Uh, to encourage him to stay. He says he wants to play to 45. I'm not sure the Astros are giving him a five-year deal. And uh, no doubt he wants to play to 45 because he wants to get to 300 wins. And as, as as you know, McTaggart or Tags, as people call him, I'm not, we're not buddies or anything, so I'm, I don't feel like I can actually call him that. But as he points out, um, he might be the last pitcher ever to get to 300 wins, especially the way they, they throw pitchers out there now. Um so, it, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really fascinating uh, story there. 
Uh, but one, fortunately, we don't have to worry about till the end of the year. Now, if you want to get a little more in-depth on Justin Verlander, you should read my colleague Sean Pendergast's, Pendergast's story on the Houston Press about Verlander. Um, it's fantastic. I'll link to it in uh, the, the podcast notes. One of the things he pulled up is a, is a tweet from Stats by Stats talking about Justin Verlander being the first pitcher in Major League history to enter the All-Star break with 12-plus wins, an 800-plus winning percentage, an ERA under 2, an opposing batting average under 200, a whip of under .9, and 5-plus strike-to-walk ratio, uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio. That's remarkable. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the baseball's been going on a long-ass time. Right, and uh, you know it's pretty impressive. There was another stat that was posted by Cody Welling, who said, "At eight, he's thirty nine years old. He's twelve and three with a one point eight nine ERA. He is fifty five and eighteen since he was traded to the Astros. The Tigers received a pitcher that has pitched in fourteen minor league games, a second rate catcher with a one eighty two career average, with Tommy John." and a career minor league outfielder. Again, this is the this is the Jordan Alvarez trade trade revisited. Just fleecing people all over the damn place, right? Now, Jeff Lunau probably had more to, had obviously had more to do with that than the current regime, but James Click certainly knows what he's doing. And these guys are are really really continuing to keep this as the golden age of baseball. Uh, here in Houston, which is which is absolutely fantastic. So definitely go and read that story. As for some of the things I pointed out, and I, I mentioned this earlier, so let me get back to it, and that is the brutal schedule coming out of this All-Star break. So the Astros are one of a handful of teams that are playing makeup games this week because of the lockout. And it's an interesting sort of situation because... The Astros come out of the All-Star break, and they lose a day. Like, most people are getting five-day breaks. The Astros are only getting three, right? They're coming off a, a loss to the A's, a series loss to the A's, when they were playing with a bunch of guys that probably wouldn't normally be playing thanks to injuries and rest. But they come out of this break and do a doubleheader with the Yankees, which is tomorrow. They immediately turn around and play the Mariners, who, by the way, have won 14 straight, right? I've seen a lot of people, you know, with concern in their voices, in their tweets, probably in their hearts, over the Mariners. You know, the Mariners were sort of a chic pick at the beginning of the season to uh, win the AL West. The Astros are nine games up on the Mariners. It is unlikely it is highly unlikely that the Mariners are going to catch the Astros. They're going through a great run right now. But let's be honest, the Astros have only lost one series in like a month, and that was to the A's. And again, it was because they were resting guys uh, before the All-Star break. So I wouldn't really freak out um, over that. But nevertheless, it's a it's an important series. You know, first of all, they have a streak on the line, you know, a 14-game streak on the line which is, you know, significant for anybody. Any team is going to be a big deal. 
But, you know, the Astros are going to the Mariners. They're going to play in Seattle for three games. Then they play three games at Oakland. Then they're back here for three for four games against the Mariners before then the Red Sox and then the Cleveland Guardians and Rangers and so on and so forth. Now, the Astros have an easier schedule in the second half than they had in the first half, but coming right out of the gate, that is not going to be easy. And, it, and frankly, it's going to be important that these guys get back. And, and talking about injuries, Alvarez, it appears, will be back, right? It looks like he'll be ready to return. Altuve has been playing after getting dinged on the, on the knee by that ball uh, in the A's game. Um, but also, we've got to wonder, when is Michael Brantley going to return? He's had this shoulder problem. Michael Brantley is a key, he's he's really key in this. I mean, he provides that steady bat at the top of the lineup. And he's another lefty in the lineup, which is always helpful. One bit of good news that we have heard is that Lance McCullers will be throwing his first minor league game coming up. I think it's this week. So McCullers is close to returning. You know, my guess is they're going to give him 10 days or so. And we said end of July, beginning of August was sort of the target date for getting back up to the Major League Ball Club. Looks like that's on schedule. It's just more pitching depth for a team that has an embarrassment of riches there and makes you kind of wonder, hey, with the trading deadline approaching, trading deadline approaching, I did say that correctly, didn't I? Man, is it Monday? No, it's it's hump day. It's Wednesday. You can bear with me a little bit longer. Um with that trade deadline approaching, you do wonder a bit, are the Astros going to go out and try to make a splash? Like they, you know, are they going to try to get a center fielder? Jake Myers has been back. He's in a one for 14 slump after a nine game hitting streak. Um, Jose Siri is so inconsistent at the plate, despite being, you know, plus level defensively. Um, Chaz McCormick was already sent down. He'll probably go back down once Brantley returns. You know, I don't know. I mean, you know, that you start thinking about, hey, maybe they'll get Juan Soto. He's under two more years of control. <laughs> the Astros aren't going to get Juan Soto, so you can just put that out of your head. But you also have to wonder, hey, they're they're kind of in a negative with Yuli Gurriel at first. I think you can sort of live through that because Gurriel's still hitting doubles like a champ, and and he's sort of doing better at that corner, but you do have to wonder about outfield. Are you going to be able to have enough depth there? Are you going to be able to get more uh, quality at bats from that position? They probably could use a bullpen arm too. Um, but that's going to be a big thing coming up, but that's that's still a little bit off. So I'm going to hold off on talking trades until we get maybe a couple of weeks in, closer. I will though mention that we did also have a minor league draft. Uh, now I, now look. No one is going to accuse me of being a college baseball expert. I mean, how many of those guys really are there? Never mind. There's like 172 rounds to the draft, and there's like 14 million players that are picked. Uh, and you know, some of these guys are playing at like Sweet Mother Mary Vincent's Catholic junior college in, you know, Rhode Island, um, or they're playing in, you know, some weird league that only plays in within a five-mile radius of Bismarck, North Dakota. Is that North Dakota? I don't know. 
My point being is that it's very difficult to, to really know everything. I will say this. After the first couple days, it was pretty clear that the Astros were going were interested in players that had some development to them. They picked, I think the all of their first two days were college players. They started with a pair of outfielders, and then a bunch of pitching prospects, followed by a catcher six six. That's a kind of a big catcher. Um, and I think, you know, it, I'm not going to go into too much detail about how good all these guys are. There's plenty of analysis out there that's going to be better at it than me. Um, but I think there there are two takeaways from, from their choices. The first is they picked a pair of outfielders right off the bat. And these guys aren't going to be, you know, up playing for the Astros for at least a year. But they are college players who've been in college. They're not, you know... 18-year-olds or 17-year-old high school players. So, and a lot, same thing with the pitchers, same thing with this catcher. This, um, they're all college kids. So you do th- start to think, well, okay, those guys should theoretically move along more quickly through the system, right? That would make the most sense. These guys, you know, kind of push through the system a little bit quicker because they have a little bit more experience, they're a little bit older, the body's a little bit more developed. That makes a lot of sense for an Astros team that because the last two years they haven't had a first or second round pick thanks to the 2017 sign-stealing scandal. Using my deep voice, radio voice for that. Um, because, Because they lost their picks, they haven't had the chance to really replenish. So this has been their opportunity, I think, to infuse some talent into the minor leagues with some real chances of that talent doing something beyond just playing in the minor leagues. And it not only gives them the ability to start saying, okay, well, within a couple of years, some of these guys may be ready to come up. They might be ready. These might be our guys. Additionally, however... It gives them some prospects that might look good to another team in a trade scenario. You know, instead of saying, oh, we've got this kid who's like five years away or four years away from really, you know, competing, we've got a kid that eh, maybe a year and a half, two years, he could be up as a September call-up. If he tears his way through the minor leagues, he might, you know, get a chance uh, to play on the Major League Ball Club. And I think that is really... To me, anyway, looking at the situation, it makes the most sense. Now, the Astros may have just said, hey, we picked the best guys and blah, blah, blah. But my guess is that they picked the best guys, A, but they picked the best guys, B, that were older. Guys that they could sort of look at and rely on and think, yeah, man, these these are guys that may very well come along for us uh, in a shorter period of time than if we drafted someone out of high school. And that makes a lot of sense if you're the Astros organization and you're trying to keep that pipeline and build from within. They have some real strong talent in the minors currently, but they need more of it is really what it boils down to. They need more solid talent in the minor leagues. And I think this is a a step, at least a one step, in that direction. Um, It wouldn't hurt if they could add some more, uh, but, you know... Good place to start. And we'll see how it goes from there. All right, so that is definitely going to do it for me. 
for this episode seven of the Believe in Astros podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. My name is Jeff Balky. You can find me at Twitter at jeffbalky.com. Please go to believe.com, locate this podcast. You can obviously listen on Spotify, Apple, and all those other places, but go to this podcast because I'll have notes and links to all these stories, and uh, maybe you'll learn something. Who knows? Until next week, I bid you a fond adieu. Thanks for listening in, and go Astros. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.